0: Hey guys, Miller. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode. We're at the table again looking at the Father's initiation, the Father's role in providing uh, the meal for us. And then we look at men's roles, uh, fathers, brothers, sons. I think you'll like this, even if you're a female. I think it's for everybody. So buckle up, enjoy, get your Bibles out. Let's go. if you have your Bibles we'll be in Genesis 3 start out there and then we're gonna head to Exodus 12 man I I sense the fear of the Lord today thank you worship team Um, that was really holy Uh, I told Bailey that was such a special offering to the Lord Um, it's just no small thing what they lead us into every week. And so I'm just really grateful for our worship team and their sensitivity to it. Um, well, this morning I have a word for the men. Uh, I'm, I'm coming after the men this morning. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I, we announced the Bloom Conference, but if you drop the L, you get the Boom <laughs> Conference. All right. Women bloom, men boom. And uh, I just, I just, I've never felt this way on a Sunday morning. Actually, my heart is just trembling. Um, We've been talking about the table of the Lord for a while. I plan on teaching on it every weekend this year. And if I could title this sermon, I can title this sermon, uh, I will title it, Fathers of the Table. And uh, I, I wanna speak to men in the house and I wanna speak to your design. I wanna speak to your purpose. And I, the women you'll receive something from this morning, but uh, there's been an assault upon, I think, men and their role in building family. And, um, there's a scripture that, that I hadn't read till this week, it's in Genesis three, but it's after the fall of man. And we know Adam and Eve are, are hiding. They're hiding because God was their covering. It says in Psalms 83 that they were atarred with the glory of God. Some think that God actually was their skin. He was so near, he covered them and they lost that covering so they end up hiding under the blessing, the, the, the trees were a blessing. The, the garden was a blessing. It was something that was given to Adam, to steward. And so he ends up hiding and covering himself with something other than God. And God shows up in the coolness of the day. And we've talked through what Eden was. I believe Eden wasn't just Adam and Eve's home. I believe it was God's home. It was God's desire to rest with man. And that that was a architectural, uh, when he was designing it, it was, it was a, it was a his desire to have a place to dwell with man. And so he shows up and he can't find them. And in Genesis chapter three, verse nine, as he's walking, he asks the question, what's the question? He says, where are you? Am I right? But I had never read that he didn't ask Eve where she was. It's Genesis three, nine. Put that up there, please. The Lord God called to the man. He said, where are you? And I I have a question for the men in the house. It's the question out of Genesis 3, nine. It's where are you this morning? Because your leadership is needed. Leadership is needed in your home. Leadership is needed in this community. Leadership is needed in our nation. We have a leadership crisis and I believe the Lord is looking for men that are marked by him. And so I I wanna wanna talk about being fathers of the table and and the table of the Lord is something that God as a father has provided for us. It is the father's table. Now I know the son initiated the will of the father, the son initiated the redemptive plan of the father, but the son was in connection with the father and it was the father's will to send the son which prepared the table. And so when we come to the table, we're not coming to the son's table, although the son is present at the table, we're coming to the father's table. And in Genesis 3, when he's looking for Adam, when he says this, where are you? He's looking for his son. This is a father in pursuit of a son that has a broken relationship with him. And he's in pursuit of a son. And we talked, we talked two weeks ago. By the way, how was Katia last, last weekend? Oh my gosh. What a fiery little messenger. <laughs> she was amazing. Um, uh, so... Let's keep on, look at Genesis three, I believe it's 21. Yeah, Genesis 3, 21. This is This is the father's response to Adam and Eve as he's, as he's leading them out of the garden. The Lord God, he made garments. This is a father making garments for a son and his wife but he covers them. And we talked about uh, the role of bloodshed and, 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 and that this is prophetic of, of ultimately us being clothed in Christ, but this is the first bloodshed in the Bible. And so we traced uh, the purpose of bloodshed, the purpose of the blood, the purpose of the, the shed blood of the Son. But tonight, or this morning, I wanna talk about the Father's role in it. and, and, and the, the, <clears throat> the identity that God has given men in this room as sons of God, but ultimately as fathers, in their homes and fathers of his family. Uh, And so uh, I wanna wanna lay two words before you because I I don't know if we've done the best of jobs in the church at building a family. We haven't haven't built family well, and I've grown up in the church, but uh, I wanna give you two words, two definitions. I wanna juxtapose two definitions. The first is paternal. Everyone say paternal. So paternal means this. I've actually got the definitions up here. Uh, Paternal and then fraternal. So paternal is pertaining to one's father, his genes, his relatives, or his side of the family. It's fatherly, behaving, uh, characteristics of a father received or inherited from one's father. So it's passed down from the father. A paternal blessing, a paternal uh, covering is the covering of a father. But then you have fraternal. Fraternal is brothers and It's related through a brother in need of a brother, a sister, or a friend. Like brothers, it's brotherly or befitting of brothers. And I don't know, I pledged a fraternity, and when you pledge a fraternity, you're hazed to get into that fraternity. You're joining a quote-unquote brotherhood, but there is a cost that you have to pay in order to gain access. Are you with me? And I feel for too long the church has had a fraternal culture and not a paternal culture. And, and I think one of the results of the fall, Adam being separated from his father, is that this, this fraternal, uh, a paternal wound developed a fraternal dynamic that, that really is seen throughout Scripture. And I wanna show you that here in a second. But, but I'll use my life as an example. So I'll start with me, and then I wanna show you through Scripture the, the power of the fraternal heart. That I want to slay today. Because brothers don't make up families. Brothers are connected to a father. But brothers left to their own devices get in trouble. I'm one of three brothers. I know this for a fact. Uh, Me and my brothers basically compete in anything. Like, I remember as little boys, we would fight over the food because there was only so much at the table. We would fight over clothes, we would fight over girls, we would fight over sports. Like, we just had this competitive thing. My, my, my two sons, they're five and six, they were doing it this morning, playing basketball. Like, there's just something innate, two men, it's like, you know? And, and I, 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 so I played, uh, I was the baseball player in my family. I played collegiate baseball. Um, and my brother, my little brother played uh, collegiate golf. He was the golfer. So. Uh, both fairly good athletes, but we excelled in our own sports, which was nice because we could, could encourage one another in that way until after baseball, uh, every baseball, every retired baseball ends up playing golf. That's just where you end up. And so I ended up playing golf, which to my brother's, uh, you know, my brother was like, oh, you, you, you're, you're wanting to get into golf. And I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get into golf. And so for the longest time, he was much better than me until. I shot a 75 one day. Now, if you're not a golfer, a 75 is pretty salty, and, uh, and I was feeling good about myself, and so the first person I called was my brother. And I'm like, hey, bro, Mitch. This is Mitchell, Michael, and Matthew. Mitchell's my younger one. Mitchell, um, man, I just got off the golf course. Oh, really? What course did you play? I played so-and-so course. Oh, that's a pretty nice course, that's a hard course. I know. <laughs> he said, well, uh, Uh, What'd you shoot? And I said, I shot a 75. He said, a 75? He said, well, what tees did you play from? The front tees? I said, no, I played from the men's tees. He said, how many mulligans did you take? I didn't take any mulligans. How many putts did you take that you did not actually putt out? Bro, I putted everything out. Who'd you play with or did you play by yourself? Bro, I played with other men. I can give you their number, you can call them and you can see. His response then was, we're playing Friday. So I hung up the phone and you know what I did? No, I called my dad. (laughs) Dad, hey bud, what's going on? I just got off the golf course. What did you shoot? (laughs) Dad, I shot a 75. You shot a 75. How many birdies did you make? Dad, I made four birdies. How long were the putts? Longest one was 20 feet. That's really long me, And I walk through hole by hole by hole. He's so interested and the last question he asks is, do you think you're ready to play Mitchell now? (laughs) What's my point? My point is brothers relate to one another one way, but fathers relate to sons in a totally different way. And from, from the break, when Adam is being covered by his father, you have fathers that have abdicated their roles as father's to sons throughout Scripture moving forward, starting with the first family. The next narrative after God the Father covers his son, the next narrative is that Adam and Eve conceived. They conceived once. I I believe Cain and Abel were twins. So he gave birth to two babies, but conceived once anyways. It's neither here nor there, but I think they were very similar except the Bible then starts to describe their distinctions. One was a farmer, one was a shepherd. One brought produce from the land to the Lord as an offering. The other brought a, uh, a sheep, a firstling, a first offering, it was a blood offering. We talked through the power of the blood and that God accepted one. He had regard for one, but he rejected the other. And what happened? Cain becomes envious and jealous and starts to compare his offering to his brothers and something sets in his heart. I feel uncovered. I feel exposed. Fathers cover, but brothers will covet. (laughs) He can't control what's going on internally and so he slays his brother. And the next time the Lord shows up, he's asking again, where is your brother? A father coming to sons. But the earthly father, I believe, had abdicated his role. And we see the wound that had sat within the first family. And I wish this was the only case, but it's not. It's not the only case. And we need to acknowledge this as men. Because this is an innate to our fallenness. Like, follow this. If Father Abraham. Father Abraham had many sons. And many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them and so are you. You know the song. (laughs) Anyways, that's you know you grew up in church if you get that. Anyways, Father Abraham had many sons, but the sons he started out with two. Father Abraham had two sons. Isaac, the the son of promise, and Ishmael. The son of the flesh or the son of, 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 of the works. Trying to produce the own promise. And it was actually a motherly deal that initiated this rivalry between these two siblings. But Isaac and Ishmael were in opposition to one another. And the power of that opposition is still playing out today on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, primetime television between the Arabs and the Jews. The conflict that exists started as a sibling rivalry. Are you following me? Well, surely it gets better from there. Isaac, let's keep following the promise. Isaac has two sons, Jacob and Esau. Oh, snap. I mean, from the get-go, one's clinging for the heel of the other. We see Jacob manipulating the birthright. He gives him a cup of soup and he takes his birthright and then we actually see him stealing the father's blessing as he attempts to become like his brother, putting, you know, coverings on himself. Again, we as men, outside of the covering of the Father, why well, I need a blessing. Whose blessing do you want? My brother's blessing. And he steals Esau's blessing. And Esau is so ticked that he says, I, he was a sojourner, a hunter, and he says, I'm gonna spend the rest of my days hunting you. And Jacob flees from his brother. Well, surely it gets better from there. Jacob has some sons, 12 in all. The 11th, his name was Joseph, and he was the father's favorite. He was given a coat of many colors, and God started giving Joseph dreams. Am I right? And what does Joseph do? He starts telling his brothers his dream. What does it provoke in them? Here comes the dreamer. What are we going to do? The ones closest to his age are like, we need to kill him. Reuben, the oldest, goes, we can't kill him. Let's just sell him. So they sell him to the Islamites. The Islamites come through, buy him, take him into Egypt. Potiphar buys Joseph, he's raised, and we know the story of redemption that comes ultimately in Exodus 12 through the Passover. But what's my point? My point is the sibling rivalry thing existed throughout all these patriarchs of old. I don't know if it's that they were bad fathers or the Lord's trying to communicate something about our need for him as a father. So surely things get better in the New Testament. Well, you got the prodigal son, the righteous older brother, you see that rivalry, and women, you're not actually off the hook because we do see that dynamic between Mary and Martha. But ultimately, like the number one conversation, number one conversation that existed between the uh, disciples, it's common, it's common. What's the most common discussion they had amongst themselves? Who is the greatest? Who's the greatest? Uh, go to Mark nine, watch this. I'll show you how toxic the culture was around Jesus leading his disciples. Check this out. This is, this is I think Mark nine is actually comical. It's not satirical, but it feels that way as you start to see what Mark is pointing out and the dynamics around Jesus and, and, and how the disciples related to one another. So Jesus goes up the mountain, he's with his father, he's being transformed in the presence. Elijah, Moses show up. I mean, it's this like glorious moment and he comes down from the mountain and in Mark 9, 14, when, when the three and Jesus come back to the disciples, they see the crowd around them and some of the scribes arguing with them. So th- th- there's this religious argument. And the religious argument is, to sum it up, uh, a father brought a son that was demon-possessed. He, he was foaming at the mouth. Um, he would stiffen up, throw himself down. Uh, he was, he was a, a desperate father looking for deliverance for his son. And in verse 18, um, the, the father tells Jesus, it's, it's actually funny, Jesus comes and asks the disciples, what are you discussing with them? And, and the disciples don't answer. But someone from the crowd answers Jesus' question to the disciples, says, "'Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit, "'which makes him mute. "'Whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground. "'He foams at the mouth, grinds his teeth, stiffens out. "'I told your disciples to cast it out, "'but they could not do it.'" They couldn't do it. Now Jesus says, "'Oh, unbelieving generation, how long will I be with you?' He brings the son and he casts out the demon and the disciples are like, "'What's up? "'You told us to cast out demons chapters earlier. "'Why couldn't we cast this one out?' Some only come out through prayer and fasting. So the disciples are confronted with this. These brothers are confronted with this, what they cannot do. There was an obstacle before them and they weren't strong enough to cast the demon out. So from there, check this out. From there, verse 30, they went and uh, uh, they were going through Galilee and he began teaching them in verse 31 uh, that the Son of Man is gonna be delivered, they're gonna kill him. Um, when he had been killed, he would rise up three days later. But they did not understand the statement, so they didn't understand what Jesus was talking about, which is common. And then verse 33, uh, they came to Capernaum. So, so from wherever they were, where the, they couldn't cast out the demon, on the way to Capernaum, Uh, They had a discussion, and Jesus began to question them about what they were discussing as disciples around Jesus. They weren't talking to Jesus, but they were talking to one another. And look at this, verse 34. They kept silent. They didn't answer Jesus' question. Why? Because of what they were discussing. What were they discussing? They had discussed with one another which one of them was the greatest. So, where did that discussion come from? I think it came from the scenario earlier when they couldn't cast out a demon. They were confronted with their own insecurities. So, what did they start doing? They started flexing in front of one another. I've cast out a demon before. Have you ever cast out a demon? Like, this is what happened. What we can't do leads us to what I can do. So maybe it gets better from there. So they kept silent. They didn't. So sitting down, he, he gives an analogy about a little child, but, um, which is really amazing because it shows about the, the leadership of Jesus. Look at verse 38. John, then, the beloved, said to Jesus, Teacher, We saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to prevent him because he was not following us. (laughs) He's doing something we couldn't do, or he's doing something not like us. And so what, what are the three scenarios? The first scenario is I'm confronted with what I can't do. Then, because I'm confronted with what I can do, I'm gonna boast about what I can do. And then I'm confronted with what you may do better than me, or you don't do like me, so I judge you and I try to shut you down. This is what happens with disciples outside of the connection with their father. It's insecurity, it's pride, and then it's that weird, like, judgmental. In the next chapter, we read, this is a funny story too. In Mark 10, um, James and John come to Jesus and they're like, hey Jesus, we got a question for you. And, uh, and they're like, what? And, and they're like, can we sit at your right and left hand in the kingdom? And uh, yeah, teacher, we want, do whatever we ask. Grant that we, verse 37, grant that we may sit, one at your right and one at your left, in your glory. And he's like, are you able to drink the cup? Are you able to do? And the disciples knew that they were asking this, and it says in verse, 40, uh, uh, verse 41, hearing this, the 10 began, began to feel indignant with James and John. Why? Because they were posturing, trying to get at Jesus's right and left hand. Like, how toxic was the culture around Jesus? So, the, 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 the craziest example, I think, is in Luke 22. In Luke 22, in Luke 22, Jesus, verse 21, Luke 22, verse 21, but behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine at the table. So Jesus is, this is to set up, they're at the table. They're at the Father's table. Uh, we'll talk about this here in just a second. I'm gonna, I'm gonna revert back to the Old Testament, but we're gonna come back to this narrative. But you've got the Father's table where, where, where uh, Jesus is being betrayed at the table. So one of his disciples, one of the 12, is gonna betray him. And he's telling the disciples openly this. And in verse 22, he says, for indeed the son of man is going as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And so the disciples learn that, wow, one of us is actually gonna betray him. And so what do they start doing? Verse 23, they began to discuss among themselves which one of them it might be who was going to do this thing. So he's telling them, and then they start to look at one another. And look at verse 24. It's insane. As they're looking at one another, a dispute among them, Began as to which one of them was regarded to be the greatest. In Jesus' greatest moment of trial, they can't tune in to what he's saying because they can't get over themselves. And I have this I have this thought based on this. I think Judas, I think Judas, the betrayal of Jesus, was as much about him betraying the other 11 as it was him betraying Jesus. I believe the culture that the disciples created created a culture of toxicity where Judas realized he just didn't measure up. Now, I know there's, there's a lot of theological ramifications, but I think this is one of the factors that hit Judas's heart, is that he was, he was betraying the other 11 as much as he was Jesus because he just didn't feel like he measured up. This is the definition of a fraternal. Culture, And I think there's many that have been rejected by the church, are felt rejected by the church, that, that are now critical towards the church because they were met with a fraternal culture, not a paternal one. The fraternal culture is based on your flex. It's based on your skill, your gift. It's based on... And, and man, comparison, is, comparison is, is a plague in the church right now. Comparison is the Achilles heel of a lot of young leaders... And listen, God won't anoint you to be someone else. God will only anoint you to be you. And if you're living in comparison of someone else, you will not fulfill what God has called you to do because he will only anoint you to be you. And I I mean, I'm actually, the whole social media thing and like we have this insight into people's lives that we were never intended to have. Like you don't know those people that you're judging your life. Like you're seeing the best fifteen seconds of their life, and it, it communicates something to us, and we end up like evaluating our life based on what we're seeing in these small windows that we don't have any intimate connection with. And so there's this there's this there's this like bait to be influential. There's this bait to have clicks, follows, likes, and and man, it 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 it's gnarly. The Lord told me this in 2017. He said, comparison's killing my people just like it killed me. And I was like, Lord, how did you die by comparison? And I found in Mark, I believe it's Mark 14 or 15. I didn't, didn't study this this week. But you can read, when, when Herod is looking at Jesus, it says, Herod knew that the Pharisees handed Jesus over because of envy. It was envy towards Jesus because of his prominence in the religious landscape. They were so mad that they're like, we are gonna take this brother out. It's fraternal. It's brothers relating to brothers. It's a fatherless culture. <laughs> so uh, let me give you a, a foreshadow of the table because we see the mess the brothers got into under, under Joseph. So Joseph shows up as this uh, kind of redeemer, he is a redeemer for his brothers. It's prophetic of of Jesus, uh, Jesus was sold by a brother, Judas. Joseph was sold by his brothers, and his brothers actually didn't recognize him, which is, again, prophetic of Jesus's first coming. And, uh, and so the brothers get reconciled, and, and they're, in, they're, they're, under, they're in Egypt, they're in Goshen for 430 years. We know that the captivity comes, and they're enslaved. And so uh, God has a plan to redeem and deliver uh, the, 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 these tribes that came from these 12 brothers. And, and, and I think it, it, it's so, it was so convicting to me. This is something I had not seen based on the exodus out of the garden, but the exodus out of Egyptian captivity. So the exodus out of the garden was a father covering a son. But the Exodus in in Exodus chapter 12, which is the institution of Passover, look at this, in Exodus 12, verse three. Go to two real quick, sorry. So this month for you, so this is, okay, sorry, verse three, you're right. Uh, Tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, each man, everyone say those two words, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So this is God commanding fathers, men, fathers who have homes. He's telling Moses to tell the fathers, tell the fathers to take a lamb, one lamb per family, one for each household. And what that father's to do, we're not gonna read all of it, but what the father's to do is he's to, to, to slay the lamb and it's a very specific lamb. It's a lamb without defects. It's a lamb that's unblemished. And he's to take the lamb and he's to, 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 to kill the lamb and he's to drain the blood of the lamb in a basin. And he will fully get all the blood out of the lamb. And then, and then from there, he would take that lamb and it's very specific, cook the whole thing. He says cook the entrails, cook the legs, cook, cook the whole lamb, not just a portion of the lamb. Take the whole lamb and you're gonna feed the lamb to your family after you take some hyssop and you put the hyssop on the lintel of the door frame and the doorpost. So you as the father are responsible for doing this. You're gonna take the lamb, you're gonna hold the lamb, you're gonna kill it, drain it. You're gonna give it to your family and you're gonna put it on the doorpost of your home. Who's doing this? A father. Who got them into the trouble? Brothers. Who's getting them out of the trouble? Fathers. But it's prophetic. This is a picture of the father in heaven who would give his son who would be the lamb of God. So fathers, here's, here's, here's practical point for men being men. Us leading our homes. Is you are responsible for handling the lamb for your family? I almost say it again. Your responsibility as a spiritual leader of your family is to handle the lamb. What's the lamb? It's the gospel. It's the gospel. I'm not the pastor of your family, you are. I will serve you and I will supplement and help you like you're doing this morning, but the responsibility for the spiritual life of your family is not on me. It is on you to handle the lamb, to apply the blood. And I think what's happened is, 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 is many of us, like, like, like it's there. The table's set. The Father has set the table for you, for me. The blood has been shed. The lamb has been provided. But we as men need to take responsibility for handling the lamb and providing the lamb for our families. Feeding the lamb. And not just a portion of the lamb, but the whole lamb. And later on in this Exodus 12 account, it says this. It says that this one act by these fathers is to be passed down. And it actually says, so your children's children's children will know the story. But you could also interpret it, your fathers, fathers, fathers. It's fathers passing it to children that become fathers that pass it down to children that become fathers that pass it down to children. It's the legacy, but it comes through the fathers. Ha! You're not fired up enough. Women, stop elbowing your husband. This isn't, this isn't, this is to encourage you as husbands. It's to equip you as husbands. What, what does this mean? It means you can lead them to the table. Like, I think the beauty of the table of the Lord, the Father's table, is it's so simple. It's bread and wine. And you go on a journey together of understanding the bread and the wine. We do it every Thursday night or most Thursday night. It's my house. We're having Shabbat dinner, but it always involves bread and wine. And we're teaching our kids about the lamb that's been slain for us. It's like the power of a father. Even from this Exodus account, a father, a father, a father's act a father's act, put, put that, will you put the picture up? A father's act creates this. Do you have the picture of the door? There we go. So the top door, it's a prophetic picture of the blood that was asked to be shed. It made a cross actually on the door. And, and this, I think, is our role as fathers and gatekeepers of our home, is that we apply the blood. We're, we're, we're very familiar with the blood of Jesus and the purpose of the blood and the purpose of the body. And, and the power of this moment, one father creating a family under the covering of the blood, the covering of the lamb, it, 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 would, it would provide deliverance. But then from, from there, the father and family, oh, another, this is a crazy deal. Look at Exodus, hold on, I forgot one more point. Oh my gosh, emoji head blown. You're about to get it. Look at this really quickly. Uh, Genesis, Exodus, second book in the Bible, Exodus 12. <laughs> So sorry, I should have written all this out. In Exodus 12, it, it tells them how to, they're to eat the meal, like specific clothes that they're to wear. Look at this. Um, oh, snap. Verse 11. Look at this. Now you shall eat the meal in this manner, with your loins girded, with sandals on your feet with your staff and your hand you shall eat it in haste it is the lord's passover why is that verse in there it's because they were to eat it with expectation this meal is going to move you from one place to another <laughs> oh man Verse 13, this chapter is amazing. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you live, but when I see the blood, who will see the blood? The Father sees the blood. This This is so important to understand the power of the meal. When I see the blood, it didn't matter what anyone else saw when he saw the blood. It matters what the Father or what the Lord sees when he sees the blood. So this is a meal of faith. I will pass over you. Oh. Cause I think, I think healthy, healthy, let me talk to fathers one more time. Um, and this, this, if you're single in the room, this goes for you, this is good prep for you to be the man that she wants you to be. <laughs> it's free dating advice. Uh, healthy men make healthy husbands. Like spiritually healthy men make spiritually healthy husbands. And spiritual healthy husbands create a healthy marriage. And, and a healthy marriage, creates a healthy dad and a healthy mom, and a healthy mom creates a healthy family. Now, a healthy husband creating a healthy marriage, a healthy father creating a healthy family, those healthy families create healthy churches. So a healthy, a healthy husband creating a healthy marriage. A healthy father creating a healthy family. A healthy family creating healthy churches. Healthy churches create healthy communities. Wait a second. So healthy husbands, creating healthy marriages. Healthy fathers, creating healthy families. Healthy families creating healthy churches. Healthy churches creating healthy cities. Or healthy communities. Healthy communities create healthy what? Cities. The power of a healthy father, creating a healthy family, creating a healthy church, creating healthy communities, creating healthy cities will create a healthy nation. A healthy husband creating a healthy marriage, a healthy father creating a healthy family, a healthy family creating a healthy church, a healthy church creating a healthy community, a healthy community, city, healthy city, creating a healthy state and nation. I forgot state, but man, we're gonna help. Create a healthy world. It starts with the power of leadership in the home. That's why the enemy has so tried to undermine the, the power of godly male leadership. And listen, I'm all for empowering women. I'm like the biggest proponent of that, you know that. I am like the biggest, no ceilings for women, but men, we need to lead our houses. By feeding them the gospel. By feeding them the body and the blood. This is our role. I, I, I think of Jesus when he's instituting the Last Supper, when he's instituting the Last Supper, and I'm, I'm gonna land it, but when he's instituting it, the one at his table that's gonna betray him, he's telling him about it. And John's account actually says, I love John. John always gives this insight about how intimate he was with Jesus, which again, I think is John like still kind of flexing a little bit towards the other disciples because he's like the one that was leaning against his bosom. Uh, Peter's like, Psst, What do you want me to ask him? Ask him, who's gonna betray him? And so Jesus goes, John, the one that I feed this piece of bread to. And so he gives, John's on his breast, and he's given Judas the bread. He feeds his betrayer. Now, I, I've, I've, as I've started to see the table as the Father's table, think about how powerful this moment is. The son who would be the meal, Jesus would be the meal, is at the Father's table. He came to initiate the will of the Father. He's instituting the table that his Father has provided, knowing that he's the offering. And he's, he's feeding the one that would betray him at the table. The presence of his enemies, he prepares a table, and here's his enemy, and he's feeding him. And I can only think of John's perspective in seeing, after the cross, him feeding his betrayer his actual flesh. It's so good. The, the blood of Jesus, th- this, is, this is what it provides for us dads, for our family. The blood of Jesus frees us, it cleanses us, it actually justifies us and makes us right with God, it redeems us, it forgives us, it brings us peace, it brings protection, it breaks curses. The blood of Jesus gives us life, we overcome the devil, by the power of his blood. It, it's the covenant, the blood of the covenant. It removes accusation, condemnation, guilt, shame. It gives us access to God and to the holiest of holies. That's just the blood, the body. We've talked about the body at, at length, about the, the healing uh, agents it brings to us. So I, I, wanna, I wanna slay the, 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 the fraternal spirit that might exist in the church because our identity flows from our Father. Ephesians 3 says, every family derives its name from the Father. Paul says, I kneel before the Father. Your identity comes from the Father. I remember I was with my brother, um, this was after the golf incident, but uh, we, 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 we all had kids. I had four, he has four, and um, we were doing like a, a, a Resurrection Sunday event at my house, which involved these little eggs that we hide. Don't judge me. And, and so all the kids are, are getting, getting Easter eggs. They're like running around, picking up eggs. And, and I had uh, Truman, my youngest was there and this was his first go at it. And he's trying to figure it out. And by the time he figures out what's happening, all the eggs are gone. And so I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm watching this and he comes up to me and he's just, he's, he's heartbroken. He's crying. He's mad. He has he's a, he's a, he's a little fire in him. And he, he realized what happened, that he didn't have any, and he takes the basket and he hits me, and he's like, I didn't get any eggs. I didn't get any egg. eggs. And I'm like trying to console him, and I'm like, buddy, buddy, it's okay. It's okay, come here. And I, I like, you know, I'm consoling him, and he's still just irate that he didn't get eggs. And as I'm holding him, I look out and I see my younger brother, Mitchell. And Mitchell has seen what's happened, and he's collected eggs. And Mitchell's like, hiding eggs around his back. And, and I'm like, it's okay, buddy, it's okay, buddy, it's okay. And he takes a deep breath. And I put him down and I turn him around and there's all these eggs. And Mitchell comes and stands next to me and we're both like this, watching Truman, the time of his life. He got more eggs than any of the other kids. And in that moment, something shifted with my brother. Because we're no longer relating to one another as brothers, Relating to one another as fathers. We're, we're not focused on ourselves. And this, to me, is what the table provides. It's, it's, it's provision from the Father, and we as fathers are to provide. We're providing for sons, we're providing for daughters. And so, while the men in the room stand up, I just want to pray for you. Actually, we're going to take communion together as men. And women, you can take it too, obviously. Everyone take it. But I, I, want us to, I want us to intercede for our men. I wanna intercede for our men. Is this encouraging this morning? <clears throat> All right, men, take the bread. And women. I, I'm, it's for everybody, but I, I'm really... Come on, women, we need strong men, don't we? So, So... <clears throat> If your spouse is standing up, would you just put your hand on him, just bless him? And the father gave his only son for us. And he would be the firstborn among many brethren. This is Romans eight, he says, those he foreknew he predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn of many brethren. So we are born into a brotherhood. But our brotherhood, our brotherhood is because we're first sons of a father. And, and the love that we receive from the Father actually empowers us to be like him, to be fathers, to carry his nature. And so as the heads of your homes, as fathers over children, as husbands, I want you to receive the bread that sources you as a father. The Bible says you who are many are made one by one bread. This is our source of life, This makes us sufficient as fathers. And I wanna commission you to behold the lamb for your family. Is this good? To behold the lamb for your family. So let's break the bread for our brokenness. And Lord, we receive your body for our families. We receive it for ourselves in Jesus' name. And let's go for the blood. The father shed his son, gave his son, and the son shed his blood for us. And that, Lord, the power of sin is broken off because of the blood. Lord, give us a right perspective of ourselves. As, as fathers of your home, as husbands, this is your value. It's not how much money you have. It's not where you live. It's not what you do. It's what you were redeemed by, and you were redeemed not by silver and gold, but by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. This is your source for value. This is where you find purpose. This is where you find your authority. This is where you find power for your family for your marriage. And so, Lord, we give you praise for this substance. It's the most powerful substance to ever touch the face of the earth. We're redeemed by your blood. And though we apply the blood over our families. Just as a father and husband, we just apply the blood over your family. Just see yourself applying the blood, just taking the of your tongue, and just saying, Lord, I declare your blood over my marriage, I declare your blood over each one of my kids, I declare your blood, Lord. We cover our homes in your blood. We plead the blood, Lord Jesus, and we receive it for ourselves. Thank you for the blood, we love you. Receive the blood. So fathers, here's your commission this week, husbands and even single guys, here's your commission. I want, I want to encourage you to take communion a couple of times this week at the table so maybe when you're doing dinner, just say, hey, we're gonna, we're gonna take communion together and get, get some bread and get some grape juice or orange juice or whatever, to get something to drink and, and, and administer the body, administer the blood. Talk about forgiveness, make it really simple. You don't have to preach a sermon, just five minutes. Really simple, but do it, do it a couple of times this week. I really wanna encourage you. I'll send, I'll, I'll send you some stuff via email that will help you do this. But let's take our rightful place as paternal leaders of our homes in Jesus' name, amen.